Caution, the contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. My name is Asa. And I'm Allison. This week on The Coffee House, we're talking about yet another Spanish composer. Looking back at our catalog of episodes, I bet you didn't think there were really that many Spanish classical composers. <laughs> our focus today is on really one of the more obscure Spaniards we've looked at, though, Fernando Sor, and then we'll be taking a listen to some excerpts from his collection titled 24 Exercises Très Facile. Fernando Sor was born in Barcelona, Spain in 1778. His father was a skilled amateur guitar player who first introduced Sor to the guitar and also to Italian opera. As a child, Sor took to music, so his parents agreed to let him attend the famous choral school in Montserrat Monastery. Here, he did not receive lessons on the guitar, but rather in vocal performance and music theory. However, he still practiced the guitar on his own and became an accomplished performer for being exclusively self-taught. When Sora was 18, his father passed away and the family could no longer afford to send him to the monastery school. Apparently, there is a tradition at the school that when a pupil left, the monks would give them one golden coin. And as the story goes, this coin was meant to be given to the student's family for financial support. However, apparently, Sora spent his to buy a fancy new guitar. This story might be entirely fallacious, however. <laughs> even after leaving the monastery, Sor continued to show an interest in music. He even wrote an opera, Telemachus on Calypso's Isle, that was performed in Barcelona when he was 19. And this opera showed a lot of promise, and because of it, Sor gained the patronage of the Duchess of Alba. Sor's father had been in the Spanish military, and Sor was expected to follow in his footsteps in spite of showing he might be able to make a living doing music. He was enrolled in the Barcelona Military Academy, and soon received a posting in the Spanish army as a captain of a group of Cordovan volunteers. The position was apparently cushy enough that he could fulfill the military duties, but still time to work on his musical endeavors. And this arrangement seemed to be going well, until Napoleon invaded in 1808. Dang, Napoleon. <laughs> At it again. <laughs> Little stinker. Though during his Spanish military career, Sor had shown great patriotism, and even most of his compositions from the time were nationalistic in nature, he actually gained an administrative position in the new French regime. Clever. In 1813, the Spanish were able to overthrow the French invaders and regain control of the country. However, Sor and many others who had shown support for the French after the invasion were forced to leave the country. So Sor followed the French back to their homeland, and he made a Parisian of himself. In his new life, Sor found great fame as a performer of the guitar and was a highly acclaimed teacher. Even though he was self-taught, he had incredibly good technique, and he even wrote a pedagogical book about how to play the guitar properly. In addition to frequent concert appearances in France, Sor also made an impression abroad with a concert tour that took him to the regions of Germany, Poland, and Russia. It was thanks to Sor's extraordinary playing and renowned teaching that during his lifetime in the Romantic era, the guitar actually gained a certain popularity. 
Prior to Sor's efforts, it had been viewed as more of a folk instrument. However, it soon became a popular instrument among particularly upper-class women who were expected to have some sort of musical proficiency at the time. Sor's popularity also spread to England, and in fact he took up residence in London from 1815 to 1823. During this time, he was well-regarded for even more than just his guitar skills. He was able to have several ballets produced in London, and his most famous, Cinderellian, was also a hit in Russia. And Sor also wrote beautiful compositions for piano and voice. Apparently, his vocal works were so well-regarded in London that whenever a new one was published, it, quote, caused almost as much sensation as the publication of a new novel by the author of Waverly. So, if Sor was in fact so prolific in his writing, and so popular while alive, why is he such an obscure composer to us now? Well, it's, it's partly due to his compositional output being mainly for classical guitar, which in and of itself is still a rare instrument. However, it goes deeper than that. Some critics have described Sor's style as being that of a derivative classical composer. He is often described to have melodies like Haydn, which is high praise if you're a classical composer. But Sor was living in the Romantic era, alongside dynamic composers such as Liszt and Berlioz. Getting any attention for less than a spectacle in these days was tricky. On top of that, Sor seems to have been primarily a performer and a composer second, so he might not have fought quite as hard to have his compositions truly recognized, meaning that it was easier for them to fall by the wayside after his death. Another point is that he never produced a large-scale work for guitar and orchestra. In the Romantic era, in the days before amplification of specific instruments was feasible, it was very hard to achieve a good sound balance between a small guitar and a large orchestra. Later composers of guitar works were able to easily adjust this balance with the help of microphones, and being able to perform a work with a major orchestra is a major help in getting your works actually remembered for years to come. So since such a work does not exist in Soar's output, that means he did fall a little bit to the wayside. Soar died in 1839 from cancer, but the works he left behind are still of great value, as many of them, as we'll see in just a few seconds, are still fabulous learning tools for students of the classical guitar. Yes, as you can tell by its title, the excerpts we're looking at today from 24 Exercises Très Facile is in fact a collection of etudes, meaning practice pieces that are meant to reinforce skills in a performance-type setting. The collection of these etudes was published in 1828. This was not the first collection Sor had written. Apparently, he wrote a few other opuses that he had titled as Lessons, meaning to describe a set of easy learning pieces. But apparently, there was outcry from students that those lessons were still too hard. So in kind of a passive-aggressive move, Sor wrote this collection with the original descriptive title of, quote, 24 Very Easy Exercises Carefully Fingered. <laughs> with this composition, Sor apparently hoped to convey that any student could learn them, and he explicitly wrote out which finger should be used at which string for maximum ease. But are they really that easy? Well, let's take a look. Today we'll be looking at exercise numbers 4, 8, 17, and 22. Let's start with number 4. This piece sounds deceptively simple indeed. 
What gives it the complexity, however, is the fact that Sora has infused it with counterpoint. Throughout most of the piece, you hear a distinct upper and lower voice. Take this passage near the beginning as an example. You hear the first upper voice starting with a downward moving eighth note pattern at the end of the first phrase of the piece. There is then a set of pickup notes that clearly belong to the lower voice, and we hear that line continuing in eighth notes as the lower voice. can also hear the upper voice playing half notes and quarter notes. These lower and upper voices could each be playing what could be considered a separate melody in this very simple song, but they also complement each other very well. And of course, what we've always said about etudes is that the notes can be deceptively easy, but it's the phrasing and expression that can make a piece difficult. And in a way, the more simple a song is, the more difficult it is to make it engaging to the listener through your expression. In this collection, though Sor extensively notated what fingerings to use on the guitar, he chose to not include any expressional markings whatsoever, leaving the entire performance up to the performer. We can hear some obvious places where expression can be pulled from the notes. As we leave the A section in a major key, it is very easy at the cadence to give a little ritardando and gently decrescendo into the end. Once the B section begins in a minor key, it's easy to give a little bit more pep to the music and come in more forte and powerful. Though these changes are subtle on an instrument like the classical guitar, when a performer makes a conscious decision to outline a phrase this way, it comes off as much more engaging than just playing everything the same all the way through. Exercise number 8 is a good example of how Soar was a very proficient composer in the Romantic era while using his classical style training. If you were to imagine this piece being played on the piano, it might be able to pass for a Mendelssohnian German Romantic work. particularly classical is twofold. First, the form is reminiscent of a rondo form, which is when there is a certain theme that comes back again and again between various other themes. We hear this particular rondo-esque theme at the beginning of the piece, and we do in fact hear more of it in the middle and the end. And the second reason this could be thought of as sounding classical is because of the 16th note lines in the upper voice. The pattern they take is alternating leaps up and down, which is very similar to the Alberti bass pattern we have talked about before that was very popular in the classical era. Let's move on to exercise 17. Now this really does seem deceptively simple. 
As you listen to it, though, there are clearly the different voices we have already talked about Sor writing in, and there is definitely a clear melody that outshines the rest of the notes. Now, it's unfortunate that the coffeehouse is an audio medium, because looking at the score for this exercise is also a workout for the brain. <laughs> Typically in music, the notes that belong to different voices are written in what is referred to as being stemmed together. You're all familiar with what eighth notes look like with the little flag that hangs off of them or the bar that connects two of them together. Typically, if a group of such notes is meant to be phrased together as part of the same voice, those flags will all point in the same direction, while a different voice will have them pointing in the opposite direction. What is confusing about this sore score is that, though it sounds like there's only one main voice with one voice in the background, there's actually three different voices. They all seem to be played on different strings of the guitar, and they're all made of different overlapping note values, so the end result sounds just like an arpeggio. However, in the score, this means each voice is written as a bunch of different, disparate, unconnected notes that seem, at first, to be placed in seemingly random intervals along the measure. This would be a seriously difficult piece to sight-read, but with a little time to familiar yourself with what notes belong to which voice, it would immediately become much more clear. If you'd like to take a look at this chaos for yourself to get a better idea of what we're talking about, we always have a link in our episode descriptions for where you can access the scores relating to our topics. And finally, we'll conclude with number 22. This is possibly the most romantic-sounding excerpt we've listened to today, and that's thanks to Sora's more adventurous harmony in the B section. As you can hear, the beginning starts out fairly straightforward in B minor. We can basically tell where he's going with it. However, in the B section, Soar first takes us on a sudden, but not so surprising journey through the key of D major, which is the relative to B minor. but he then takes us down a very unexpected road of C major. This is a very strange modulation to happen so suddenly. The key of C major is two positions away on the circle of fifths, meaning it has two less sharps than D major, and it's a whole step away from D major, rather than a more standard modulation interval like a fourth or a fifth. While it seems like Sor was silly for just randomly throwing in C major, he's really just writing in a very slow downward movement back to B minor, as the overall key progression we get is D major to C major, finally back to B minor. To make it a little less jarring going the half step from C to B, Sor does the classic romantic thing and uses diminished chords, which can modulate to anything to bring us back around to B minor. So that concludes our investigation of Sor's 24 very easy exercises. Properly fingered. We hope that you enjoyed listening to these kind of cute and fun little pieces and enjoying a little deeper look into them. 
If you like what we're doing, please consider sharing us with a like-minded friend and leaving us reviews on iTunes, Google Play, or dropping a follow on that Spotify page if that's where you're listening to us. For the Copyhouse Classical Music Podcast, I'm Asa. And I'm Allison. Thank you so much for listening. Exercises 4, 8, and 17 were performed by Stefan Naziva, and exercise 22 was performed by Pierre Perol Schneider. You can find The Coffee House on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com.